I've talked to some collectors and they talk like that, you know. They tell me, you know, you know, I love this watch because always between 12 and 5, it jumps one one time. You go like, well, don't you want to have it changed? No, not ever. Not in a million times. Is a mechanical watch sustainable? Walter Volpers, IWC Associate Director, Product Management, says yes, and gives some compelling examples as to why. He's with us in the studio for the third episode of It's Complicated, A Cultural History of Complications, and explains why a mechanical watch is forever and how that represents sustainability. Walter also discusses the future of complications and what a watch enthusiast can look forward to. And we also travel down memory lane with Walter and learn about his path from Colombia to Mexico to Schaffhausen. It's an interesting story, and we invite you to listen. Enjoy. In the studio today, we have with us Walter Volpers from IWC, Associate Director of Product Management. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. And you have a very interesting international background. Can you tell us a little bit about it before we get into your IWC story? Yes, uh, sure. I mean, uh, if, if uh, we, we need to go way back, you know, back then when TV was black and white, I was a uh, Born in, <laughs> I was born in Colombia. Uh-huh. My mother's Colombian. My father is Swiss. I was born in Colombia, but I got exported with three months to Mexico City, uh-huh. where I lived the first sixteen years of my life. Okay. And uh, actually, my culture is also very, very Mexican uh, on on the sense of you hear around the IWC. I'm I'm the Mexican guy. Well, that's probably because, exactly because of that. Okay. And then we moved four years to Venezuela. So the first twenty years of my life I spent in Latin America. And uh, somewhere my, my father said, well, what, what do you want to do? Where do you want to study? And I said, well, Switzerland is, is, is good. They have very good uh, universities. So I said, let's go to Switzerland. And always with the, in, in the back of my mind, you know, studying four years and going back to Mexico because that was uh, actually the country I grew up. And I was really, really happy about that. I lived there uh, the first 16 years, as I said. So, um, yeah, I came to Switzerland. And uh, 25 years later, I am still in Switzerland. So, so if someone asks you the question, mm-hmm. where are you from? The unfair question, how yeah, do you answer course. that? Well, that's, that's a really, really big uh, challenge for me. Sometimes, I, I mean, sometimes I say Mexican, uh, but I think now it's, it's more Swiss because I've lived the, the majority of my life in Switzerland, so 25 years versus 16 years. So I'm probably, I've, I've been assimilated by the Swiss. <laughs> and so, so I, yes. Yes, and so working for a quote-unquote mm. Swiss company like IWC Schaffhausen, how, how do you blend that together, your international background and in bringing it into the company? Well, that, that is exactly the amazing thing about my story, you know, because 25 years ago when I came to Switzerland, wandering around in Basel while I was studying, I saw this, uh, this jewelry uh, store with all the, the, the renowned, uh, very known watch brands, and, and I fell in love with the Mark 12 back then. Uh-huh. Uh, it was 1994 yeah. plus minus. So I, I saw the watch and I said, I need to get that watch. So I went back and started working, you know, weekends, uh, summers, and uh, wh- whatever I could do, you know, moving furniture around and all that stuff to get some money for that watch. And when I finally got the money together, I went to the store, but this was like about two or three years later. And, uh, and I asked for the Mark 12 and they told me, well, there is no Mark 12 anymore. I said, 
what happened? Well, we have a Mark 15, the store guy says, says to me, I say, well, what happened to 13 and 14? And that's actually the first time I got really involved with watchmaking because they told me that 13 was a bad n- number for the US because uh, I don't know. <laughs> and the It's four, an unlucky number. An yeah. unlucky number, yeah. exactly, yeah. And the four is uh, as unlucky as the 13 in the US, but in China. China, exactly. So yeah. they skipped the Mark 13 and the 14 and they went directly to Mark 15. So I said, okay, well, yes, I want a Mark 15. And he brought one with a with a leather strap, and I said, "This is this is the prize." He said, "Yeah, but I want it with you know with a steel bracelet. That that is more sporty. Uh, I would like to have that one." And, uh, and then uh, the price, of course, increases with the with the bracelet, and I could not afford that watch. So I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, no. I said, "Well, what do you have in my budget? What kind of mechanical watch would you have?" And I actually went out with a mechanical watch for, of, of another brand, and I'm talking about you know 23 years ago. And then someone in 2008, around that, I was, you know, talking with my father on the on the on the veranda on the balcony, and we were discussing about the houses and uh, how beautiful they are and everything. And uh, and he told me, do you know whose uh, whose house is that one just below? And I said, no, I have no clue. How should I know? Please tell me. And he told me it was the house of a former CEO of IWC. And he said that he was disappointed because you love and you talk always about IWC and you watch it, you never got and everything, mm-hmm. and you don't even know the CEO or the name. I said, well, I'm so sorry, but yeah, I mean, I love the product and the company I still do not have uh, no clue about, but right. I would love to work for that company. And I told my father, actually, you know, if they offer me a job, I would go immediately. And um, like three months later, I, I, I got a, a call from a headhunter and uh, and he told me, uh, would you like to work for a, a watch company in Eastern Europe? And it was like, there's only one, right? I mean, right. one big one. I said, Eastern yeah. Switzerland. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. So I was I was like, uh, you know, sitting on the phone, you know, very quiet, and I said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, making uh, making yeah. the, the victory fist uh, behind the phone. But I was uh, it remained very cool, saying, well, if the job is good, then uh, I would love to. So you spoke it into existence, like you could say. Somehow, you could say that. I mean, I like to believe that. Okay, so how, how exactly did you get to IWC? The head, you talked to the headhunter, then what happened? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So uh, I talked to the headhunter, they sent me the, the, all the papers, and, uh, and, and I got the chance to, uh, to have an interview with a former COO back then, and, um, and we were discussing about lean management and production and, uh, and all that stuff. And uh, well, the, the, the job was very interesting, and I think I could have done it very good. But fact is, I didn't get the job. Someone else did. Oh, okay. So, you know, I was diving in Egypt <laughs> with my brother. And uh-huh. when I got the call from our COO, and he told me, you know, um, I still want you in the company, but not, not for that job. I, I do have another opening, which would be interesting in, in having a look at that. And that was the, the uh, job opening of the um, purchasing department of mm-hmm. the movement components. And uh, well, then uh, I, got that, I got that job and, and that's how I got in. And and what's your what was your educational background? Yeah, I'm an I'm industrial. In, um, I think in, in English is called industrial engineer. Industrial engineer, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's an industrial engineer, exactly. With and I have also an MBA, which I finished like uh, six years ago. So, you started out in one position. Now you are associate director of product management. What exactly does that position entail? Yeah, well, uh, getting the job was also a, a very tough uh, situation. Um, 
I, I got convinced. I mean, I got convinced that I could do this job because it's a it's a central job. You know, you're in the middle of the whole company. You have uh, many touch points. You talk a lot with, uh, you know, with production, with quality, with sales, distribution, R and D department. With, with practically any any department on IWC, you have to talk to them. And uh, and uh, I, I do believe uh, that back then I was a, a more more an all rounder, so it was a good opportunity for me. So I took the chance. And uh, when you look at the task, I think uh, it's it's really uh, the touch points. They need know how from you in every touch point. So if you're talking about finance, of course you need to know about finance. You talk about R and D, and you look at the technical drawings. You need to understand that. So uh, the the job is really challenging because you have a lot of, of touch points, um, but you also get the chance also to talk about strategies, you know, defining portfolios, uh, defining the, the movement strategy behind that. So we look ahead three to five years uh, and, and we also plan already the products that we want to bring in the next three to five years. So you already know what's going to happen like in 2023? Yes. Of course you cannot pinpoint every single product down to the last reference so many years in advance because you also have to listen a little bit to the market you know you, you, you need to see how, how it's reacting what kind of time pieces are running and which are not and everything this is all part of the product life cycle management which you have to uh, be a part of that. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah, keep going. There's, yeah. there's another really interesting task that, but n- nobody sees this, but it's, it's, it's a little bit like the DNA keeper of IWC because I have to go back in time to see what the products we had and everything. Of course, design and, and creative director does that a lot too. But um, when it comes to the execution and the production, um, you cannot always do that, what the designers are wishing or wanting. So you have it's it's in a little bit. I mean, putting it really negative, it's like a, a little bit the destroyer of dreams oh, because they okay. dream on everything. But mm-hmm. you have to, you know. <laughs> but you, you do it in a nice, pleasant way, correct? When you destroy someone's dreams, right? Yeah, I, I try that. I try that. It's <laughs> never easy, you know. What I mean, <laughs> keeping up with the expectation is never easy. Yeah. But you mentioned something uh, as you were talking about your your job and what you do, and that you look at at trends, you look at what's going on in in, in the industry, but I have read some interviews that you have done, and you say that fashion is not equal to luxury. And, you know, fashion has a tendency to look at trends also. You have to see what people want, but you're saying that's not equivalent to what you do or what you all are doing. Is that what you is that, is that what you mean? Exactly. I mean, it, it depends how exactly you define fashion or how do you want to define fashion i was talking to a very interesting person a few days ago about fashion and they she she actually she was telling me that they do 12 collections per year and some other companies do even 24 collections per year i mean if i have to imagine making 24 watch collections per year uh, i mean there's no chance you can do that i mean that that is just from from the physical possibilities uh, you're limited so you cannot never ever do that and that is actually the big thing yet that you get on luxury luxury is a lot more than just a nice cool looking watch there's also a lot of history in the in, in behind that there's also quality there's manufacturing you know there's the there's this um, perception of 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 a beautiful of you know um, timeless mm-hmm. and actually the best watches are timeless so Fashion is not timeless. It comes back again. It's, it's more cyclical. You know, it, it, it goes up and down, and it comes back again 10, 15 years 
later perhaps, but it's it's not like in the timeless of the product. You know, you can always wear it and it's going to be always timeless. And luxury is also this, this um, you know, scarcity. And fashion is not scarce. Fashion is really fast. You, you have it, you use it, and then you, you lose it, you change it very fast. And, and, and luxury is not. You know, it, it's, it's a different motivation of purchasing a luxury product. But in fashion, you do have, maybe you'd call it false scarcity, I guess you could say, but drops, for example, this this concept of drops, and you have a particular number of items, be it sneakers or whatever, and, you know, sometimes you do have uh, certain references where you only make a certain amount, exactly. a limited edition. Exactly, and, and that is actually why it's so difficult to maintain or to keep this luxury feeling, because fashion has taken some of these I would say mechanics of selling products, you know, a limitation is always interesting because you can only get just a certain amount and either you, you're there and you get it in the moment you see it or you lose the chance. And, and, and that's exactly, these are things that based on the history of luxury, you know, back then, luxury has been, it's been around for years, for thousands of years. And back then it was, you know, an artisan and a, a guy who had an, an exceptional, you know, cha- um, an, an exceptional, how do you say, talent. And he, he did something and he can only do a certain amount of that per year. And getting that was, was the most impressive. You know, I mean, Picasso, is, uh, he did a lot of, of paintings, but he, he cannot do unlimitless paintings. And that, that is why it's, it's very exclusive. No, he was an artist. He did it by hand and it's exclusive. And these are mechanics that in the luxury all come together and fashion only takes a few of them. So it's not in the totality is not there. So you have from fashion, you have like the high premium or premium end. Of course, they might have the same price of luxury, but it's not the same because there's no history behind. There's no quality behind. There's no, you know, this, this idea of an, uh, an artist bringing that to life. Um, I think it's it's a more complex uh, um, product than just uh, fashion. Than just fashion. But mm-hmm. I have a question yes, to please, ask. Please, please. What about certain references that IWC has put out, like the Porsche, Porsche design. Yes, exactly. That is a, you could call that a fashion watch, even though it was a very luxury watch, watch the way it came about Mm -hmm. was, um, you know, through working with a member of the Porsche family, but it was a fashion watch in the time that it came about. Yes, and it was very contemporary back then. You know, if you look at the design and everything, but I think what, what makes the difference is actually that, the Porsche design is made of titanium. So it's a material which is back then, or it was back then, really difficult to work on. There was not, there, there were not many suppliers, actually none. There was no supplier that could make those cases or those straps. And IWC took the challenge, and because we're in, in, engineered and we're industrialized, we really managed to to produce these, these cases. We were the first in the watch industry to bring titanium into the watch industry and make it, you know, industrialized and on the luxury product. So, uh, in a sense, you know, you're bringing the savoir faire, as it's called in French, you're bringing the whole history of, you know, industrializing, engineering products, and you put that together with perfect design. And then you have a more holistic approach or a more holistic look at the products. They're more, more luxurious. And then you have, uh, you know, movement. Of course, we had quads back then in those watches, but we also have m- mechanical movements in them. You know, and we, we're bringing a lot of, you know, hand, hand uh, craft chip and, and we know a lot on how to do that. 
I mean, we had also a, a compass inside the watch. If you think back then, I mean, compass works with the magnetic fields and magnetic fields are not the best for watches. So it's a, it's a bit of a you know, funny combination to, to, to get that, but we did manage to, to bring this on, on the market. And to be honest, also back then they were really loved and we sold a lot of them mm-hmm. and then they disappeared and nobody talked about them. But now with this vintage uh, movement that's around, exactly. it's coming very strong. It's starting strong. to come back. Yeah, people exactly. are talking about that you know, particular timepiece again. But an- another thing to bring up when in the comparison of fashion and luxury, it's sustainability. And the fashion world, and maybe the fashion world is better at uh, PR, in terms of sustainability, it seems to be at the for- seems to be at the forefront of sustainability. How does mechanical watchmaking in the mechanical watchmaking industry how how does how how do you, how do you address sustainability? Well, um, that that is a really complex question, and there's a lot to say about that. I mean, why is sustainability so important in fashion? I believe that if you make 24 collections, there will be a lot of articles that do not get sold. So you need to, you know, h- how do you cope with that? Do you recycle them? Do you reuse them? Do you sell them for something else? Or, or what happens with that? So that brings the big question. And I think that's one of the reasons why fashion is is, is so at the verge of this new technology, of, of this new movement of being, uh, uh, you know, um, sensitive about these kind of uh, issues. I think we never had this this complexity in the watch industry because the watch was made for you know for an eternity. It's supposed to last ages. Uh, so when you do something that lasts for ages, it's the, the the challenge is different. I mean, I need to think about fifty years from now how the watch will be recycled. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what's going to happen in the next five years? We don't even know that. So how do I start imagining what happens in fifty years? So I think that that is um, that is one of the things that is so cool about mechanical watches. You do not need electricity. I do not need you know anything to recharge them. Just the movement of of your uh, of a crown or or yourself when you have an automatic movement, and and that is I mean more sustainable than that. I, I don't I don't know if you if you take care a little bit of the watch, it can last ages, ages. So, so you're saying could you say that sustainability is part of IWC's DNA or the mechanical watch industry DNA? I think it's from the mechanical watch industry DNA. Yes, definitely. But I mean, IWC has always been working. I mean, um, as I said, I started on the on the supply chain management, and back then we were always looking, you know, at you know keeping certain processes, not working with uh, with some poisonous uh, materials or or solutions. You know, when when you uh, nickel the components, you know, they are all nickeled uh, or coated with nickel, and you need to have the right chemistry in order to be sustainable. And we always kept that. There's there's something called reach, uh, which is also when you introduce uh, products to other countries that you need to deliver a certification of, of uh, reach that you're not using these 120 or even 60 different solutions that are poisonous to the world and to the people. And so we're, we're keeping that too. And of course, you know, when you look also at the straps where it's getting a lot more attention because, again, fashion is, you know, it's, it's been... Right now, it's it's taking over also the luxury segment. So yes, it, it's more fashion, and the straps is one of the small changes you can bring to the watch to change the face really fast and really give a different look and appearance to the watch. 
And uh, so, so yes, I mean, we were using leathers and uh, there are exotic and non-exotic uh, leathers and you have to take all that into account. And of course, you know, the tanning process is also uh, very interesting and very important to keep that under control. And we're looking to that. We're pushing every time. So would you say when you, when you started in supply chain, um, has the sustainability thought process changed a lot or is it about the same or has there is there a difference nowadays than it was back then i believe this changed a lot back then you used to do it because you want to do it because you have a statement or strategy or something but it was not a pr thing we did it just because you know because you're uh, you have ethics uh, you have ethics to comply and we did that because uh, I, I believe adobe to be one of the most ethic companies in the in the watch industry and um but when you look back at the at, at back then, no, nobody was making a fuss about it. You were you were complying rich or something like that, and nobody would ask, nobody would interest. And today it's changed. Today that is a very powerful tool because you know the sensitivity of the of the world is there, and and you have to be. I mean, if the people are ex- wanting that and exclaiming for that, you you have to deliver that. Good thing is we already started a lot. Back then, at least the 10 years I've been at IWC, we've always looked at that. So we've been, uh, you know, very, very, um, uh, it's not been a big challenge because we already accomplish a lot of, uh, a lot of points. Mm-hmm. You know, just, yeah. And probably social media has played, uh, played a role in that too. Yes, definitely. The, 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 the speed of information has changed. It's so fast. Something happens today and it's already two hours later on Instagram. Uh, or on any social uh, channel. And back then it was different. You know, back then you got like from central. I mean, I remember getting from from some minister, you know, a, a letter asking me to fulfill the richness, the degree of rich that we're, uh, if we're compliant or not. And this was a, you know, a 20 question form that had to be filled out and passed through all the executives to, to, to send them and to, to, to show that we're rich compliant, that we're auditing and everything. And today, actually, it's, it goes so fast. Somebody tells, well, there's no no process in, in place and everybody knows that. Do you so have it's, it's different? Yeah. Do you have people um, maybe when you're, you know, meeting with collectors or people who are interested in the timepieces, do they ask questions about sustainability do you see more people you know being just very blunt about it and saying okay where where do your supplies come from where do your materials come from Inter- in, in, very interesting question um, i mean i have to go back to all the discussions i have with the collectors and and to be honest i think there are some that are more interesting than others and we have had a lot of top of discussions concerning especially the straps i think that is like the main touching point because i mean stainless steel as i said it's it's uh, it's recyclable and uh, and and the product is meant to last ages and uh, so and, and the weights i mean if you look at the weight of a watch which is about 120 to 200 grams that is actually nothing compared to a car for example or furniture or something so it's it's less less uh, a discussion but on on the straps we have a lot of discussion i mean there are even people that are already starting to say, uh, please do not deliver my watch with uh, any kind of exotic leather like alligator or something like that. Wow. Okay. So today we are, I mean, we're talking about sustainability and because of all the touch points that you have in a company, you can talk about sustainability, but you also look at trends and we're talking also about complications. Is it difficult to innovate a complication, especially since they're pretty basic? 
And of course, you have the, the perpetual calendar and the innovation that Kurt Klaus did. But what goes into going forward with complications? Yeah, well, um, I, I hate to, to do that. But I mean, if you bring also the comparison to the smartwatches, which I believe there is no comparison there, but still, um, in the smartwatch industry, everybody's looking for the killer app. You know, what is the killer app so that the smartwatches start going everywhere? Well, I think it's a little bit like, like that for us. What is the killer complication in a mechanical movement or a mechanical watch? I believe that society today um, is more like perception is reality. And, and that is a big, big problem if the perception does not comply with reality. And I have two perfect examples for that. You know, 2015, we introduced the Portofino handwound big date. Mm -hmm. And as the, as the name says, the complication is just bringing a big date to the watch. Uh, but the difference is any, any watch with a small standard size date, it, it's very small. And it's only one disc turning around. Mm -hmm. When you do a big date, you need two discs because you need to increase the size of the font, of course. So you use two discs. And, um, you know, in, 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 the, in the movements, in the watch industry, and, you know, the, or, or the movements, it's everything is about energy and, and if you have enough energy to move anything around. And when you put one disc, two discs instead of one, mm -hmm. you need, of course, you need to find the energy to move two discs and synchronize them that they change exactly. And when they're changing, that they break at the right position so that they're in line and they show the display. Mm -hmm. Now, you look at that, if you look at the reality of that movement, that is an, a huge challenge for any watchmaker to get an additional disc and enough power to move that. But for the customer, the perception, a small, small date to a big date, they don't care. They really do not care. It might be look different. They, they, they see the two discs, but they do not think about the reality behind and how challenging it is. The second example I wanted to, to, to tell you about is like the chronograph. You know, it, it's, I, I, for me, it's the most underestimated complication. A chronograph is one of the most difficult complications to make that. I think uh, many, many watchmakers can also confirm that. And um, we have our Caliber 89000 that has a flyback. You know, this means that you have two buttons, one to start to stop, and the reset button is also the flyback button. So when you start the, 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 the chronometer, it starts turning around. It starts um, the chronometer, and you push the reset button. It will it will go back to zero, mm -hmm. and continue counting the time without having to activate any button again. So it's it, it flies back. That's why it's called flyback because the second hand flies back to zero and continues counting time or or measuring time. Now, the speed of this the stop second, as it called, the speed of this this hand is close to three hundred kilometers an hour. And it breaks at 12 o'clock to zero. Now, can you imagine driving with a Porsche at 300 kilometers an <laughs> yeah, hour and breaking yeah. to zero? And you can do this a million of times and it will not break. Now, you know, the, the, the hand is intact. You know, you have components inside. You know, have a component blocking the second at 12. And all the, all the gears that need to work together. And they're, you know, out to that, uh, you know, they're exposed to that kind of forces. And you can do that. I mean... Thinking that something like that is possible, mm -hmm. when you start thinking other dimensions, of course you can talk about mass and everything, definitely. But still, again, you you can do that ten thousand times and nothing will happen. I don't know if you can do that with a car. You know, drive three hundred and brake to to zero and just keep 10, doing it. And keeps doing yeah. it. Sometime it will fade out. It will not work anymore. But something like that is in a small 
in a small caliber, you know, 40 millimeters a watch or 42, depending on what your references. And that, that is amazing. And that is the reality. The reality is that there is so much engineering behind so small components and small details, but the people, they just see just a chronograph, you know, just, why, why would I need flyback? You know, <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, you yeah. you never you never know. They could be. Is it because they're not interested, or they just don't know? That is actually the question that should be. Uh, you know, uh, we should be thinking about that. If if perception is reality, and and the the, the bigger apart these two words are, the bigger the perception from reality is, the the the, the bigger the problems you will have. So I think the future of complications is you know bringing this reality. Closer, closer, closer ex- together. Exactly. So when you have the reality and and, and you know uh, and the appearance, it looks complicated. It is probably complicated. Mm-hmm. That I think is going to be the future. So, so how do you bring it together? What are some ideas? Oh well, that's and that's a challenge because that's that's needs to be creative and it's design. You know, it's like if you have a minute repeater and you have like the gongs that are inside the watch, you you do not see them. Just like for example, showing them. It, it brings the sense of complication because you see how you know a hammer is hitting the small gong, mm-hmm. and then you see that actually, and then you hear it with all your senses. You know, you see it, you feel it, you hear it. That would be you know increasing the the the, the sense of of the reality, showing the reality. Maybe you know if if you, if we had the the big date with transparent dial where you can see the disc and how they move, mm-hmm. maybe that could you know increase. You can see it actually. The functionality exactly. actually going, actually turning. Exactly. When you see that, and getting to see that might, might you know, bring bring this sense of technology industrialization altogether. Right. So we you, we've talked about innovation in general, innovation in the in the complications. Um, so where do you see this going? We've talked about bringing perception and 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 reality right. together. Mm-hmm. What what else do you see? Well, of course, there is. Uh, I, th- I think uh, technology the, it's moving really fast today. You know the way we produce things. You look at 3D printing. Of course, for a for a watchmaker, is 3D printing not yet something interesting because of the uh, production tolerances that they are really really uh, tight in in the watch industry compared to what 3D printing is doing. But if you, if you start looking at that kind of technologies, where you can do components that are not even drawable on a, on a 2D uh, software, you, you start getting excited uh, and because you get also You're smiling materials. now. Yeah, as we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's an amazing technology. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine doing the, the constructions you can do, you know, um, uh, reducing the weight of disks so you can have mm. a lot of disks. Maybe with 3D printing, there's a way to do that, to bring that into life. And of course, the K is, you know, I mean, uh, but th- but there's a trade-off, definitely. You know, if we're talking about weight, because you need to also have the the the, the, the price, the value needs to match the appearance and and the weight. So it's it's difficult, but still, I mean, there are a lot of technologies that are coming around that could be very interesting. You know, material uh, coatings, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you can coat today a standard glass of water so that it doesn't scratch like sapphire. Mm-hmm. And of course, sapphire is in, 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 in the properties maybe heavier than glass. So why not reducing, you know, the sizes of glasses to a minimum? And, you know, sometimes for the aqua timer line, for example, you need to use very thick glasses because you are, uh, if you bring them under pressure, they, they cannot crack. 
so imagine having those thick glasses reduced on, on, on size. That would be also very cool. And just with coatings, also, you know, the mix of, uh, of, techn- of materials. When you put, for example, ceramic matrix and you inject that with gold, that gives also cool opportunities of, you know, having a precious metal that is not scratchable, like right now gold is or silver or something like that. So it's it's an amazing that there there's a lot coming to us. I think the problem is that the the society cannot cope with this kind of of technology as fast as as we would love to as 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 as, as fast as it happens in our heads. Mm-hmm. You know, we say we want this new material. So uh Walter, can you bring that like in three months? Can, excuse me, which kind of technology? <laughs> <laughs> What were you talking about? Like, 3D printing? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, give us 15 months and maybe we can do something like that. But do you think the expectation of the average mechanical watch enthusiast is a little bit less? They don't have that expectation that it's going to be quick. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, the thing is that they're more fashion than luxury in that sense that they want, you know, more changes, more fast and or faster and, and with, uh, you know, it's still limited and still very special, but it has to happen fast mm. because the, the competition is not sleeping either. So if you don't have it and it's very emotional at the moment, I mean... Um, I, I'm the best example. Back then, I told you, 1994, I, I went over 96, 97. When I got the money for my Mac 12, I came out with another watch brand. Right. So, and this, I think, this can still happen. So you need to be on the verge, on the edge of technology, and bringing that immediately when you have it. Otherwise, you 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 might miss a train, and you don't want to do that. That start that really had yeah. an impact with you. That do you think about that? How you you went in the store, you wanted an IWC, but you came out with something else. Definitely yes. There was no internet back then. There was internet, but not as it is today. That right. you know, on on your mobile, you could just very quickly check. Because I I believe back then, if I had the time to check and you know see the all the component, uh, all the products and references they have, I might have already known that bracelet was more expensive and would have you know uh, spent less money on on one party or one dinner uh, less and then have it for the for the <laughs> for the watch you <laughs> know the watch. exactly exactly so but but i think that and that is also the challenge today you know um people are copying so fast you know you, you can see that i mean there are some watches uh, i mean they are already out but we brought this mojave desert you know mm-hmm. beige ceramic yes and the competition brought one like two months later They go like, yeah, okay. <laughs> How does so, it feel when it happens? I mean, do you just, is it, it part of the business? Or no, you for take me, it, as, a, as, a, as an associate director and product management, it is great. We were the first. Yeah. So time to market is really important. So I was really happy and we were setting trends with the color. So the other, all the others following, they are just copycats, you know. <laughs> so that <laughs> okay. feels, it feels good for me because we, we were the first on, on, on the market. Yeah, Yeah. as you but, puff your chest out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, if, 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 if everybody can do it so fast and I mean, I mean, where's the technology, you know, and just need to wait a little bit and maybe you're, you're, if people, if they are loyal, maybe they are waiting for their brand to bring something like that. So it's it's it, it's tough um, because every time you get something new, you're really excited. Somebody tries to copy it. Um, but there are some other things like like our Ceratanium, which is actually a product developed by IWC, mm-hmm. and 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 that is um, un- incopable because we have you know the trademark and the and the IP behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, nobody can bring a watch in Ceratanium other than we can. So will we see more? Timepieces in Ceratanium coming up? Well, I put it 
put it this way imagine <laughs> imagine investing seven years of your life on that material and when you finally have it on the product you definitely do not want to take it out really fast okay after seven years of development i think it's it's cool to have it and and the properties are amazing. We we should push that a lot. Okay. Yes. It's a very diplomatic answer you. you just gave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It has to be. It's about a future product. Exactly. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. We understand. If you met someone who had no clue what IWC was, mm-hmm. and you had to give them the elevator pitch, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, there is uh, for me. I mean, we're already in the third floor, right? So I just would say just engineering time. Now I can't. That that is a okay, marketing word. Not that far word. to go up. Okay. That that, that is an, that is a marketing. But I, I believe that is a very very powerful sentence. We used to have enge- engineered for men. That is also very powerful. But I think the powerful behind was the engineering, the engineering. I don't think that many companies can say like we do that or, or like we have or like we are that they were engineered. You know, they they have watchmakers, yes, but that's watchmaking. And engineering is a completely whole ball game. You know, it's 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 about industrializing. It's about bringing very big quantities. And of course, if you do one million movements a year, you are more even more engineered. So yes, the watch industry is is very engineered, but they they cannot sell it because f- for us, it's it's also in the look. You know, everything we do, ha- there's a reason behind. You know that it, I mean. The perpetual calendar of Kurt Klaus is not just amazing because of the complication itself, but also because you can change it via the crown. All other all other companies they have a pusher or a, somewhere in the case to change the date, and we don't. And that's the engineering approach. And everything we do has an engineering approach. You know, the folding clasp is engineered. It's not because it looks better or it's or what have you. It's because it has, you know, that it's not in the middle. The head of the folding clasp, of the Tulamela folding clasp, mm-hmm. is not in the middle of the wrist. And that is done on purpose, not because design, not because someone thinks it's cool or something. It's engineered. Because when you're working on your computer, you don't have the clasp mm-hmm. in the middle of your wrist. It's a little bit further up. Okay. So it's not disturbing you as it should be the other, as, as others. And that was actually part of the plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we wanted to have something different and the approach is, you know, engineering. Think, engineer it, and then you bring it to life. And I think that that is one of the biggest challenges. We we've had um we've had some some other guests in here that talk about watchmaking in the soul of a watch, listening to the ticking of a watch, yes. almost like a heartbeat. And then you're talking about engineering. Mm-hmm. How do you blend soul and engineering together? Is there a soul of engineering? Yeah, that, that is a very philosophical question. I believe it, 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 it is. There, there is a soul to that. Because, I mean, and, and I, I know this because we were in a project, you know, uh, where we had to exchange the gears. And uh, you, you just cannot take one gear into one watch and it will work. Uh, ultimately, it, if it works, it's then, then it's ultimately perfect. Definitely, because you can... You're interchangeable, and whatever you put inside, it works. And I think every single watch, depending on the gears they get, works differently. You know, there's 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 a little. You know, some sometimes 
the, the time it's uh, slower or faster or you know how, how it feels on the crown Th these are details that i mean i've talked to some collectors and they talk like that you know they tell me you know you know i love this watch because always between 12 and 5 it jumps one one time and you go like but don't you want to have it changed no not ever not in a million times so this is you know the special uh, there's a special to spe special how do you say combination of components and um and i think that is you know not not every watchmaker assembles the watch exactly the same they you know some try to put this and correct a little bit that and they're and they're, they're giving a little bit something more personal that it's depending on the gears that get together so they're very special every watch is special and i actually think that the watch finds you and not the other way around so another unfair question. I asked you an unfair question about, you know, where are you from? And that's unfair. Here's the other one. Your three favorite all time IWC watches, mm -hmm. but there's a catch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your three favorite ones with your AD glasses on. And then you take those AD glasses off and then you tell us your favorite. Well, um, from an AD perspective, or with the glasses, it's, it's, it's actually it depends if if uh, if I'm looking at the oh, challenge. No. If I'm looking at go. the challenge, you go. Yeah. Like, I'm a challenge guy. I love challenges, yeah. you know. So, uh, for example, Teratanium was one of the biggest challenges. So, any watch we had the Aqua Timer, uh, uh, Perpetual Calendar Digital in Teratanium, uh, limited to fifty pieces. This was one of the biggest challenges we've ever had, uh, bringing that that material to industrialized level. Uh, so from an AD perspective, in the sense of challenge, that would be one really cool watch. The same with the double chronograph. Yes. It's still it's still a big challenge, and I'm a pilot's guy, so any any pilot's is good. Uh, but on the on the other sense, you know, when when you have a lot to do, uh, you're also very happy when you have an easy job. So every watch with an easy case, it's great. Okay. You know, I mean, Aquatime is the most complicated case we have. So bringing you know a pilot in in a different material. That is like an easy catch. You go like, oh, easy, cool. The next two, uh, next few weeks is not going to be very challenging. We have this watch coming. It's okay. So that would be any any pilot, you know, Mark 18 or or 37, 77, you know, pilot chronograph. So there there are two two views from as an AD. AD, you know, okay. The challenging one and and, and the, the more relaxed one. So, so that was a relaxed one. Exactly. And the okay. challenging was okay. That one, the Aqua Timer Serotanium. Okay. And what about just something that is emotional? Which which timepiece sort of brings out the emotion in you? Well, of course, based on the story I told you before, it, Mark, Mark 12. Exactly. Any yeah. Mark. Yeah. You know, Mark 11, 12, 15, 16, 17, 18. I'm in love with those watches. I actually have already six of them. The only one missing, the Mark 11 and the Mark 12. So I, I'm, I'm going I'm, okay. I'm to get them. I'm going to get the them. Hunt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am on a hunt, and I already said, you know, uh, our good friend David Seifert from the museum to uh, to help <laughs> me out that because it's not so easy to get those timepieces. But I'm working on that. So that that would be like number one mark, any mark, any mark, definitely. Um, the the number two is actually the Aqua Timer 2000 meters GST. That's a very special watch and has a very special look. I think it uh, incorporates the DNA of IWC very strongly. Maybe not completely on the look, but definitely on the on the production on side. The production side, on the, yes. On the production side, yes. you know, the, the the bezel is really special and it was done back then when you had time to do that kind of stuff. So it was an amazing watch. 
And of course, the third one would be a big pilot. But I think that the big pilot is, you know, it's more like from the movement point of view. I love the Calibre 52000. It's actually the first movement I introduced when I was purchasing. So I, I've kind of got fun of that movement. And I have actually both uh, the, the Portuguese 5007 and the big pilot 5010. Those are like... I, okay, I mentioned four. I'm sorry, but okay. No. <laughs> yes, you did, but that's okay. I hope it's okay for you. It's fine. It's fine. And you can Perfect. put your AD glasses back on now. Yes. Walter, thank you so much for joining us today. Walter Volpers, IWC Associate Director, Product Management. Thanks for taking the time to come. Thank out. you very much. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks again to Walter Volpers, IWC Associate Director, Product Management, for being with us in the studio, and we hope you enjoyed listening to his stories. And in the next episode of It's Complicated, we have two more very interesting gentlemen, IWC Museum Curator David Seifer and Head of Movement, Research and Development, Thomas Goyman. They'll both detail the history of the complication, the tourbillon, including IWC's Tourbillon School, which rose as a result of the quartz crisis, and of course, they'll have a lot more. We hope you join us, and until then, take care. <laughs>